All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, a podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight we're going to be doing a documentary, so it's not actually technically a movie, or I guess documentaries are technically movies, so forget what I just said there, but this is episode 165 of the show, and you can find the show notes more at actualanarchy.com slash 165. We're going to have a great guest coming on when we get into the last night's person show, but first I want to check with Robert, because he just uh, had some snowmageddon stuff going on. It's been interacting with uh, his ability to serve his fellow man as uh, an entrepreneur. And uh, he had to dig his way, tunnel his way through to get to the recording space today. Uh, thank you for making the effort, Robert. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, you've been a, a multi-time guest now, uh, 164 times. Um, well, 163 prior to today. This is your 164th. We had one episode where you weren't able to make it. I forget even the reason why, but uh, I think that was the Ratatouille one. So I'll put that on our show notes page because that was a, was a fun talk without you. I bet you it was. <laughs> but I'm back by popular demand. Yes, yes, quite quite demanded. Um, but, uh, you know, we have a, a special guest coming up, and um, we should probably just get to it because I want to respect his time. He only has a, a certain amount of time to be with us. And uh, why don't we do that in the last night's portion of the show? Let's do it. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters can be found on Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 108 of the show. We're talking about the documentary, A Leaf of Faith, and you can find the show notes some more at lastnighters.com slash 108. Also, if you like what we do here, you can uh, check out our Patreon page where we have pre-show and post-show content. Post-show is called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, and if you guys are familiar with the movie High Fidelity, which we will be doing in a few weeks, you will get the reference, and if not, just wait a few weeks. Just wait longer, and you'll, you'll get the reference when we talk about it then. Uh, anyway, we're going to have a, a special guest talking about A Leaf of Faith with us tonight. He is John Bush, and he has a company called Brave Botanicals. Is that, is that correct, John? Yep, Brave Botanicals, mybravebotanicals.com. Excellent. And uh, you are here to talk about Kratom, which is what A Leaf of Faith, uh, this movie is by, um, what's it, is it Chris Hall? or Chris, Chris Bell. Bell. Chris Bell. Chris Bell, he's a documentary filmmaker. This is, uh, he did Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Uh, a couple of years ago, and then he did this one about Kratom and the efforts for the FDA to regulate and control or even make it a Schedule 1, uh, so like a felony offense to possess, consume, distribute, whatever. And the, uh, I guess the backlash or the, the popular pushback to prevent that from happening is documented in this, in this documentary. So it's, um, it was a really good, uh, good one. I enjoyed watching it, and I am glad that you brought it up because it, uh, I think we'll have a, a very fruitful discussion as a result. So why don't you introduce yourself just real quickly? Where can people find you? And um, I think you might have an offer. You could do it now or at the end uh, for our audience. Yeah, my name is John Bush. Uh, I've been an activist since 2002. Uh, freedom and libertarianism, voluntarism is really important to me. Got into natural health along the way and uh, really started focusing on eating right, avoiding toxins, organic food, and natural remedies for ailments 
And that really stuck with me. And the whole freedom thing was became more of a holistic approach, not just political freedom, but freedom from chronic ailments, chronic fatigue. Also, um, you know, spiritual freedom, not feeling stressed and having internal conflict and dealing with our internal tyrants, right? Everybody focuses on the external tyrants, but we have our own little internal tyrant that we see sometimes when we look in the mirror. Uh, so that all was really important to me. And um, along the way, I ran a bookstore in downtown Austin called Brave New Books, and we sold books, libertarian, conspiracy theory, all sorts of cool stuff. But the books didn't really sell very much, probably because of Amazon. Uh, we also sold natural health products, and uh, that really kept things going. And one of those products was Kratom. And we started selling that and I took it myself, really helped with stress and anxiety and energy and focus. And then what really was captivating for me as an activist, wanting to help people and make the world a better place was to see how it just absolutely transformed people's lives and got them, uh, got them their lives back, got them to kick an opioid habit or got them be able to be able to play with their kids again and uh, quit Adderall, all sorts of stuff. So I really leaned into that and it's been very fulfilling work. And you mentioned an offer. Uh, we can talk about censorship and how the big social media and the government tries to shut Kratom down or make it harder to sell Kratom. So along the way, I decided in order to get people to try it, I would just give it away for free. So people can go to freeounceofkratom.com, freeounceofkratom.com, and just pay $5 shipping and handling, and I'll send you a free ounce to try. So thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm impressed with y'all's little video stuff and how you do the flow of the podcast. Do Good work, guys. Oh, th thank you very much. It's uh, it's nice to hear that. And, and <laughs> I appreciate you reaching out to uh, to be on the show. Now, you also sent me a link to your appearance on the Tom Wood show. Um, mm -hmm. What was that episode number? Is it 1416? I don't remember. Oh, boy. I'm going to have to find <laughs> that on our show notes page because I want people to go, be able to go and listen to that because you and Tom get into a lot of the background on this. And I don't want to have to rehash too much of that because you have that one so you know if people want to know more check that one out and listen to this one and watch the documentary and go to freeonsecratum.com and uh, try it out yourself as well so anyway we usually start off with uh the old google description just as a way to kind of kick things off so we'll go to robert for his reaction and we'll then we'll get your take on what robert usually has something pretty good to say he he's he's like my diving catch guy so i come out here i start flapping my gums i don't even know what i'm saying and he comes in and says something very coherent Good <laughs> argument. So it's a good combo. It's, it's 50, I'm 50-50. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. So this is a film called A Leaf of Faith. Got 7.2 on IMDb. It uh, was made in 2018. It's rated TV mature. It's an hour and 26 minutes as a documentary. This documentary takes a deep dive into the benefits, dangers, and lingering questions around Kratom Leaf as an alternative to opioid painkillers. It says it stars Shane Mouse and Joe Rogan. It's uh, available on Netflix these days, and uh, that's really all it says, so not a whole lot of information on the Google description, but uh, I'll go to you, Robert, for your take and the uh, opening information you have. Well, that, yeah, that's not a lot to go off of. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll say what I do know about that this is a Chris Bell movie, and like you said before, he did uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster and Prescription Thugs, and I think he did one other film, but his movies have a bit of like homemade charm to them. He's always in each one. It's always him trying to like figure something out or he has a perspective he wants to push and he always narrates them. And he always has the absolute worst like animated graphics. It's like he makes them himself on like a computer with like an old version of Flash from the 90s or something, but it's always really horrible. Always kind of charming. I, I, I like him, but um, you know, I first saw Bigger, Stronger, Faster, which was he's, you know, he had like, he's like a chubby kid and he always looked up to like wrestlers and bodybuilders 
and he always wanted to be that strong guy. And he had he had these two other brothers, and it was all about his struggle to you know gain mass. And then he was dealing with the aftermath after having like I think I don't know I forget if he was taking anabolic steroids or not, but it was all about the health effects and that and whether or not they were you know had long term detrimental effects. And he's still kind of on. He has this perspective on the world where he sees people doing something voluntarily and they enjoy it, but he doesn't see that as a necessarily a good thing. Like he'd rather introduce some kind of force and regulation into the mix as if that's a good way to do it. And I, I guess a lot of statists have this perspective on things, and we'll probably get into that in this film where people are enjoying this thing, and but also some people are abusing this thing. So shouldn't shouldn't the state come in and fix it as if you know the state is capable of fixing things with force? So I like him. I like the way he's trying to try to figure things out. But I wouldn't like point to any one movie of his and say this is like the definitive take on any given thing. I think I think he starts he asks interesting questions, but you know I, I wouldn't necessarily go to him for like philosophy or anything like that. All right, yeah, that's interesting. I in watching it, he seemed to be relatively neutral, maybe pushing uh, a narrative a little bit more than the other. But yeah, he does have that homemade craft quality to it. Um, where he's sort of just like asking questions and like trying to figure out, you know, navigating along the way as he's like the audience is learning along with him. And I kind of appreciate that. And then uh, he he interviewed that, um, I'll call her that witch in Florida, that Democratic uh, city council person who was like trying to push all this fear mongering and trying to, I guess, get it banned in the entire state of Florida. Uh, and just her her takes were like the worst takes, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, John, let's go to you and your your. Uh, your response to Robert and the very limited Google information here. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the documentary. Um, of course, I've been in the creative industry for three years, so it was especially exciting to see this really professionally put together piece. And uh, like y'all said, I appreciate the approach. It's it's very um, consumable and it uh, doesn't fly over people's heads. And Chris Bell does a good job narrating and kind of the innocent. He, he, I think he's already, he, he acts as though he'd never taken Kratom and he takes it for the first time in the film. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think he's taken Kratom a lot. And that was just kind of a thing that they did to make the, the film more exciting. But he does approach it as though he's innocent and maybe a little naive on it. And he, he asks questions, which I think is a great, maybe like a Socratic way to explore a topic. Um, and so I think in that regard, the documentary film with that angle is, is really good. It doesn't try to shove a bunch of information down your throat, although maybe it does in a subtle, indirect way, because obviously he has an agenda. But uh, it's definitely a big topic um, to talk about the whole libertarian angle. Uh, but before I get to that, um, I appreciate how he relays people's stories. So it's really effective storytelling to show people not just to talk about it or talk about the science behind it, which there is a lot of science in, in the film, but uh, he shows people's real world stories. And like there's a wrestler, for example, that was all addicted to Vicodin and cocaine and alcohol and started taking Kratom. And not only did the Kratom help for, with pain relief, but it also got him to kick all of the drinking and all the all of the cocaine as well. Um, so I think that's cool. And I've met many of my customers and people in my personal life, like my partner, for example, she was taking Adderall for for years on end since college and uh, she took it in her professional life and it would lead her to drink uh, pretty substantially when she would get off work, for example, because she was all wired. She said she would drink to pump the brakes. And so we started dating and I saw the drinking and saw the Adderall and was like, hey, you should try some Kratom. So she tried some of our white lightning Kratom and was able to quit the Adderall altogether and really get the drinking under control. So I thought that was pretty special. But there's other stories like that in the film. 
And then of course you guys are voluntarists, anarcho-capitalists. So there's a whole angle throughout the film, not just at one part of trying to sell the idea that we need regulation in this space. And so as a free market guy myself, I think the best regulation out there, because regulation just means to make regular, right? But most people know regulation is through bureaucracies and through government coercion. But I think the best regulation would be industry associations and, and personal responsibility on behalf of the consumer. And that does already take place. We all know that the reason why the government's trying to ban Kratom, it's illegal in six states. And in 2016, the FDA encouraged the DEA to add it to Schedule 1, which would have made it a, a, a federal felony. Um, it's because it's big competition for big pharma. And it's estimated that the Kratom industry does like $5 billion a year. It may not be the most accurate term, but it's based on something. And then uh, the prescription pain medicine industry is like $21 billion a year. Maybe it's gone up since I got that stat, but that's a pretty significant chunk of, uh, of the money there. And so the corporations use the government in order to make it difficult for the competition to take foot. And that's exactly what's taking place. But one of the arguments that the regulators have which there may be some truth to it, although I imagine it's a very small amount of truth, is that there's people that are adulterating and adding fentanyl and hydrocodone to Kratom, uh, and there's people that are pawning off other substances, and there's all sorts of salmonella and all sorts of stuff. There was like a small little salmonella outbreak, but there's salmonella in any industry, like lettuce is constantly getting recalled. And so they're saying we need regulation in order to deal with this. And then all of these do-good Kratom vendors and advocates like Chris Bell, and one of the Kratom vendors that they visit, they say, well, yeah, we need regulation. Let's regulate in order to make things better. So I think they're doing it as a fear-based reaction because they don't want the government to ban it. So they're like, we need to take care of it and we need to be an active participant. And that one vendor in the documentary is like worshiping the FDA. He's like, we should need to appreciate the FDA and they're doing a great job. They're just trying to help us. Yeah, right. And so that's something that bothered me. Um, there's this Kratom Consumer Protection Act, which is being pushed by the American Kratom Association. And it's been passed in Utah and a couple other states, and it's been introduced in several states. And in fact, in 2020, they have plans to introduce it in 20 states, Texas being one of them. And so I think that the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, what it does is it regulates Kratom. It uh, forces you to register with the government if you're a Kratom vendor. It requires testing on all the batches, and it... Um, one of the things that I really don't like about it, besides having to register with the government uh, and just being part of the government altogether, is that you can't sell Kratom if it has more than a specific mitragrinine. So there's mitragrinine, which is one of the active alkaloids, and then there's 7-hydroxymitragrinine. And the concentration of 7-hydroxymitragrinine has to be under a certain percentage. So that means not only do you have to test it for purity, make sure that it doesn't have salmonella or heavy metals, but you also have to test the alkaloid content, which can be incredibly expensive. And then if you have stuff with a higher alkaloid content, you can't sell it. Like we just want to sell the whole plant here in its raw form. So that's problematic. Um, but the thing is, in Texas, we don't have any issues with kratom or people selling fentanyl-laced kratom. Like things are pretty smooth. I haven't really heard any stories in my own life or even happening in Texas. So I think the Kratom Consumer Protection Act may be a good thing when a state is saying we're going to ban kratom. And it's like, hold on, we understand your concerns they, and then they introduced the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. But when there's no problem at all and the government isn't trying to ban it, they probably don't even know about it. The state legislature is here in Texas, and there's no need to have the Kratom Consumer Protection Act. And again, as an anarchist, I don't think there's a need to have it anyway, but it's definitely better than having it banned because Kratom is helping so many people. So that was a huge angle in the film that I'm sure irked you guys. It irked me as well. And it irks me as a Kratom vendor, uh, the prospect of, of having to register with the state of Texas.
no bueno. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you as an anarchist. I'm like, no, but then then the economic question is, well, compared to what? You know, compared to a full-on ban, of course it's better. And and a similar compared to what is you talked about people using this to get off opiates or Adderall or other other things, like the wrestler was able to kick a lot of those habits. Even if Kratom does have any negative effects, well, compared to what he was doing before, it's a hell of a lot better than than what you know he was coming from. So even if uh, they they discover the kratom. You know, if you can abuse it and, and it does cause some problems, like compared to what they're doing now, isn't it an improvement? Yep. Yeah, it's an example of harm reduction. And uh, I should say for people that want to try kratom and then go to freeounceofkratom.com, if you take a lot of it and you take it every day, it can be habit forming, which is like my soft way of saying you can become dependent on it or even addicted to it. Now, like you said, it's an example of harm reduction. So I do have customers that buy a lot of kratom every single month, like clockwork. And um, based on how much I sell them, I know that they're taking a whole lot. However, uh, likely some of those customers were formerly addicted to hardcore opioids or even heroin and opiate. And so even though they're now addicted to Kratom and probably if they were to take so much and they were to quit, they would have withdrawal symptoms, likely not as severe as quitting heroin or Oxycontin or fentanyl, for example, but still like wet dog shakes, um, trouble sleeping, irritability, headaches. Uh, the Kratom, now the CDC and the FDA won't agree with this, but Kratom's not going to kill you from taking it alone. Maybe if you, I don't know, you could die from drinking too much water, but it's really hard to overdose on Kratom because your body makes you feel sick and like you vomit if you take too much. I've taken too much before and I had like flu-like symptoms the next day. This is back when I was experimenting with extracts. I'm not a big fan of the extracts anymore. But like you said, it's a it's it's harm reduction. So it helps a lot of people. And then compared to what was going on before, it's it's night and day. So and then again, when it becomes when, when it comes to dependency or addiction, that's only if you're taking it substantially. Like I take it regularly almost every day and I encourage people to take a few days off so their body doesn't develop such a tolerance. They need to take more. And um, I don't generally experience withdrawal symptoms when I take time off. Um, it does really help with tension and stress. And so I'm not as like laid back and just kind of chill when I'm not taking it on those days. But um, I've never experienced major withdrawal symptoms. That's not to say that you can't. But like you said, it's an example of harm reduction, and that's that's what's most important. Yeah, Isn't that I, due to the much lower ceiling that Kratom has compared to these opioids, right? It, it doesn't trigger – is not as much in the, the dendrite or whatever in the, the activity, nerve. Activity level or whatever. Action is what, what they – yeah, and you were mentioning the the funny animations, which I appreciate. Also, uh, there was one where they taught this doctor talks about banging on a piano key, and so the opioids that the active alkaloids in uh, oxycotton or fentanyl, they're like banging on the key really hard, um, the opioid receptor, and then the kratom one doesn't bang on it as as hard, and it doesn't um, I think I don't know all the technical terms. Um, but it, it's it's not as addictive or dependent because precisely it doesn't bang on those opioid receptors. And there's different opioid receptors like the mu and the alpha and stuff, and they interact differently. And then the, one of the other big differences is kratom doesn't cause respiratory depression, which is the main cause of death for people that overdose on opioids. And it's such a important topic now because we have this massive opioid epidemic. And the irony is that kratom helps people to get off of opioids and opiates, yet lawmakers and regulators are saying that Kratom is a problem because people are taking it instead of heroin, like they said in the, in the documentary. I was like, yeah, of course, the comedian's like, of course they're taking it instead of heroin. That's the idea here. So uh, it's a plant whose time has come. Yeah, now yeah, it's interesting how the, the DEA seem to not 
wonder why. Like the question, why are they taking it instead of heroin didn't seem to enter their brains. It was just, hey, they're taking it instead of heroin. So it must be bad as opposed to they're taking it because it's a good way to get off that stuff. Yeah. 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 That, that's a good point, Robert, because I, I could see them being like, well, that's the next drug in their, you know, in their thing. Right. Like, oh, they're taking heroin and now they've got this kratom that could be worse. You know, they're they're leveling up or whatever. But uh, to your point and, and to John's point, it seems to be able to alleviate the dependency on opiates and, and help them uh, get off of those harder things that have more negative negative effects. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people go back. So they people are like addicted to heroin or they're taking the pain pills and they want to quit. And they know that it's affecting their lives. They, they're like all loopy. They can't play with their kids. Like we had a customer in California who is an older grandma and she was addicted to Percocet for years and she couldn't watch her four grandchildren and she would find herself like rocking on the bed, just all messed up. And people try to quit. And then the withdrawal symptoms are so strong and painful that they just take the, the pills again or the heroin again. And that's where Kratom really helps because you quit the opioids, uh, you slowly wean yourself off and you start taking Kratom and it really acts to minimize those withdrawal symptoms. So that's that's really how it helps so many people in those areas. But it's not just you know people that are addicted or dependent on opioids. I take it as an entrepreneur, it helps with mental focus. Like usually around one or two o'clock, I'll start getting a little brain fatigue. My brain will get a little cloudy and uh, I'll just have a couple of teaspoons of Kratom in a big glass like this. This is water, but... Um, and it just helps to sharpen my focus and kind of give me a pep in my step. It also helps when my kids are going nuts. They're six and eight and I'm like losing patience. I'll drink some Kratom and it's just like, okay, I got this. That's, I'm going to go along with the crazy and life's going to be okay. Yeah. Mine are four and six and I, I definitely know the crazies. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Two years apart too is, is I'm going to space that out a little more if I ever have more kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you mentioned the, um, you know, it's, for people who want to get off opiates, but also to, you know, have more clarity and focus, it seems as if it's this miracle elixir, elixir that can do everything. Um, so what is the take on that? I mean, it, is it really that effective in all these things? Or is a lot of this a little bit of, you know, marketing speak, um, the miracle elixir kind of thing? And then who is it not for? Okay. Um, yeah. So some people market it as a panacea. Um it, you know, it interacts with not just the opioid receptors. And this is something I appreciated from uh, Dr. Christopher McCurdy. He mentioned this in the documentary. And I didn't know this before when I, I watched the documentary a couple years ago. But um, it not only interacts and stimulates the, and binds to the opioid receptors, but also the dopamine and serotonin receptors. And that's why it helps with stress and anxiety or uh, with focus and just an overall sense of well-being. So some people, you know, there's been a small amount of people that have taken it and uh, they don't feel really much of anything at all. But for people that are stressed and anxious all the time or for people that are in a lot of pain, it really does make a big difference. So um, I wouldn't say that it's marketing. I mean, it's it's a plant. It's like cannabis, right? Cannabis is this miracle plant that, you know, if you believe in God, God gifted man, this amazing thing. And, and man has endocannabinoid receptors and the cannabis cannabinoids like CBD and THC interact with the endocannabinoid receptors. Um, and if you don't believe in God, then you know science and evolution helped. The plant was proliferated and grown because it was so beneficial to man and maybe it became more potent, whatever. But can, um, Kratom is really similar. There's so many different uses for it. Um, and it's such a game changer. And the side effects are so few and far between. So who shouldn't take it? Uh, if you're pregnant or nursing, you probably shouldn't take it. And I've had people reach out to me and ask that. And I know some vendors will like gloss over the the negative effects and the negative side, which is very, again, it's very small compared to other stuff, but I'm always upfront and honest. So if someone is, is pregnant, 
or nursing, they probably should avoid it again because they are opioids. And then there were some stories recently, you never know how much of it is propaganda, but I bet there's some truth to it where babies were being born dependent on Kratom. And again, this is someone that's probably pounding Kratom. Now I will say, and again, I'm not a doctor, right? So your audience is probably all anarchists and voluntary, so they're not gonna fault me for this, but I always like to throw out a little disclaimer. I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving any medical advice, it's all for educational purposes. But if someone is pregnant and they're taking Vicodin or Percocet or God forbid heroin, which happens, um, obviously it would be better to be taking Kratom than those things. But if someone's not taking that stuff and they're just feeling a little stressed, then maybe some meditation or change in lifestyle, yoga would be better. Than, um, than taking it. There are some uh, drug interactions, uh, like there's some drugs that, that weigh heavy on the liver. And so one of the things that the FDA said was that Kratom causes liver damage. So when I read that, I went out and did as much research as I can to actually find instances of this. And I did find a study that says when someone is taking, again, it's taking a lot of Kratom. Like this is an ounce, for example. This is the free ounce that you would get, freeouncekratom.com. It's 28 grams. Uh, if you take just a moderate amount, it'll last like two weeks. There, there's people that take this much a day. And again, that's something that should last around two weeks or so. And so if you're taking this much a day and you're taking it all the time, it could weigh pretty heavy on the liver. The alkaloids, mitragrinine and 7-hydroxymitragrinine, like you do have an effect, right? It's, it's subtle if you take a small amount, but it does affect your body and your liver and kidneys have to filter all that out. So there's certain medications to be aware of. But again, Kratom's a member of the coffee family. And when you take it in small to moderate amounts, it's relatively benign. So I always encourage people, this is what I do. I get this full of water. I mix two good-sized teaspoons. Um, I always encourage people to start with a quarter teaspoon or half a teaspoon, a really small amount. And then you mix it with a thing of water like this, and you just drink it slowly. So some people do a toss and wash where you take a dose and you toss it in your mouth and you take water and swish it around. Or some people take a bunch of capsules. We also sell it as capsules. But then you have the immediate, then you have the full effect, right? But if you sip on it, then you could drink a little bit and then wait like five or 10 minutes. And okay, I, I think I feel a little, little calmer, you know, my pain's kind of going away. You drink a little bit more and that way you can kind of ease into it in case it doesn't work, doesn't sit well with you. Cause there have been some people that have like gotten nausea and stuff, but, um, if anybody's truly concerned and they're taking medications and the best thing to do is consult your physician. But the cool thing about plant medicine and another thing real quick and the documentary that Ibogaine lady, Ibogaine's like a plant medicine that a lot of people use to help get through addiction and depression and stuff. Uh, some people put it in the same camp as ayahuasca, although I don't think it's as uh, hallucinogenic. The lady, so Chris Bell goes to visit this woman that's trying to legalize and decriminalize Ibogaine. He's like, well, what about Kratom? And surprisingly, this lady that's trying to decriminalize and deschedule Ibogaine is like, oh, well, I think that that should be regulated or that should actually be schedule one. And if people are going to take it, they're going to need to take it with the doctors. And as libertarians and anarchists, we know that there's this um, there's this dependence on authority, whether it's needing a permit to add an addition to your house or um, I only believe something if if a professor says it or you know, e economics, right? It's a Keynesian theory. And there's all this, there's this economist in the Wall Street Journal that said, blah, 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 about the Federal Reserve or whatever. There's this dependence on authority. And that comes up in the medical realm as well, where people won't act unless their doctor prescribes it. Like Chris Bell's mom, his whole family takes Kratom and benefits from it, except his mom won't try it. And then he's like, well, you'd try it if a doctor prescribed it, wouldn't you? And she's like, oh, yeah. So the cool thing about Kratom and other plant medicines, like cannabis, for example, is it gives us authority over our own bodies and it allows us to experiment and to uh, relieve ourselves through our own authority and being in touch with our own body and that connection to the plant medicine, which I think is, is really important. 
Uh, real quick, this is totally off topic, but kind of not, sort of not. If you're only interested in the pain relieving aspects of Kratom and you were to get like that one ounce pouch, you don't add like preservatives or anything to it. So what's the shelf life? Like if I only wanted to take it when I'm hurting, but I only hurt like a couple times a year, is that going to last or is it going to go bad? Yeah, uh, a couple things on that real quick. There's different varieties. So this is the green that you get for the free ounce, and it's the most versatile in smaller amounts. It can be a little stimulating, kind of uplifting, good for stress and anxiety. In larger amounts, it has a little bit more of a sedative effect and can affect your body more, so it would be better for the pain. So that's green. There's also another green called Super Green Dragon, which is my personal favorite. It's uh, good for stress and anxiety. It doesn't have the euphoria that the green mangda has. It's not as strong as the green mangda, so I like it because I'm more active in the day, and I take it uh, for help with work and stuff. And then there's a white variety, which is uh, the most uplifting and energetic. Some people take instead of coffee. This one's good for stress and anxiety and focus and as an entrepreneur or, or you know doing research or studying or whatever. And then there's the red ones, Red Relaxation and OG Bali. These are the best ones for pain, the red variety. So there's green, white, and red. The red tends to be the most sedative. The white tends to be the least sedative. The green tends to be in the middle. And these help for for pain more and have more of a relaxing effect. They're a little more sedative. A lot of people take the red relaxation for, for pain. But to answer your question, we import it from Indonesia. It's just in its raw plant form and it lasts quite a long time. So we always sell fresh Kratom. Like we cycle through it in less than two or three months. But I have Kratom that's from my own stash or stuff that I didn't sell back in the day that's like two years old. It might lose a little bit of its potency but um, in fact, there was another, I called it my little private reserve stash that was as strong as ever. And it was like three or four years old. I picked it up. Somebody sold it to me two years later. Like I, I my friend held on to it when the government, that when we thought the DEA was going to ban it and it ended up being some of the best cream I ever had. Um, but if you keep it in a cool, dry place, some people put it in the freezer or the fridge, uh, it, it should last for quite some time. And so you can have it as needed, kind of as needed basis. And these strains you have, these different varieties, you're mixing them yourself with different with different leaves or are these different trees? Yeah, so it's not as um, scientific or specific as cannabis strains, right, where they cultivate the seed and they're very careful to keep track of it, not cross-pollinate, so to speak. And strain is a misnomer. That's why I also say varieties. And so the color comes from the darkness or the color of the leaf's of the tree. Kratom is made from the powderized, dried up leaves of the Kratom evergreen tree. And the little veins that transport the water and the nutrients, the redder the vein, that'll be the red Kratom. The lighter the vein, that'll be the white ones. There's also stuff they do in the drying process. And so we've had the same farmer for like two to three years now. And basically it's like this patch of trees in the farm constantly puts out this darker red, right? So we're going to call that our red mang da. I came up with red relaxation. What, what I buy it as is red mang da. The green mangda is a green mangda. White lightning is a white mangda. And then OG Bali is a red Bali and the super green is a super green. That's what I buy it as. So I think it's just like this part, these trees. And then of course they drop the seeds and they're sprouting new ones or they're, or they're cultivating it and planting them. These trees tend to have this darker red leaf. They tend to have this more sedative body effect. These trees over here tend to have the whiter, lighter leaves. Uh, and then these tend to be a little more stimulated and energetic. So it's not as scientific as cannabis, but... Hope that answered your question. Sure. Well, I'm not mixing it's all, anything. It's all, some people do their own blends and stuff. I just sell it like five straight varieties. It's exactly what I receive in from Indonesia. And then we repackage it and sell it in smaller amounts. But you definitely, from one variety to the next, you can definitely tell the difference is what I'm basically. Yes. Even the two greens, like the green mangda, 
I just got a new uh, I just got a new batch and I wanted to try it because uh, I don't normally take it. And sure enough, it has the same similar effect. It feels great for me for an hour or two, and then it's a little bit strong, and I start to feel a little too relaxed, which some people may go be going for if they're doing it for stress and anxiety or pain. But I'm looking for that choppy, sharp, like, go, go, go. Um, and just between the Super Green Dragon and the Green Mang Da, I could tell this, the Green Mang Da is consistently more euphoric. I should say, too, when people do the free ounce offer, free ounce of Kratom.com, you go to add cart, and then once you click add cart, you're presented with a one-time offer to buy the four other strains for 50% off. So out the door, you can get all five of our offer, all, our five of our offerings for $33.75. And that way you can try which one fits for you. Maybe this one's a little too strong. Maybe this one's just perfect. Maybe these two are really good. And then if it does benefit you, you can come back and maybe buy four ounces so you can get a better price per ounce buying it in, in bulk. We also sell half kilos, which lasts a good long, good long while for some people. You save a lot of money that way. So that kind of leads me into my next question. Um, Washington State recently, I guess within the past few years, legalized cannabis. But in doing so, they put this ridiculous tax on it. So they tax the growers 49%, and then they tax the sellers another 32% or something like that. So it's like 81% tax or 79% tax or something like that the actual consumer cost. So the price is super artificially inflated, but what's what's it like buying Kratom these days? Is the state getting their grubby mitts all over it or are you just collecting normal state sales tax? No, well, in the great state of Texas, which is very friendly to business, relatively so, right? Um, they don't tax supplements and food. So on the one hand, Kratom, some Kratom vendors will say not for human consumption because they want to avoid the, the FDA doesn't allow Kratom to be sold as a dietary supplement. You're not supposed to make any claims. So I always try not to make any of the cure, treat, any disease claims, right? Although, you know, I'm sure as hell talking about taking it to help you. Um, but I guess that's a risk that I take. I also put a suggested serving size on the label. So it's a moral hazard. I didn't always have a suggested serving size on the label because I just wanted it to be like, well, someone could be taking it as foot powder or they make soap with it, right? Um, but then I thought, wow, if I don't have a suggested serving size, someone could go in and take like two tablespoons to start off with and they could feel really nauseous and feel ill. So maybe I'm putting myself at a little bit of risk because I talk about openly and on my website, it talks about helping with pain. But at the end of the day, like I thought the right thing to do, even though it may not be approved by the FDA or the government, the right thing to do is to let people know how much they should take. Um, so to answer your question in Texas, there's no taxes at all. So I don't have to collect sales tax I have a sales tax and use permit as a business owner, but I, I, every quarter I put a big zero as far as the taxable revenue, which is great. Um, in some states, I imagine they collect sales tax. I the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, right? Love it or hate it. It doesn't have anything about taxing it. So maybe if it grows in popularity as it becomes legitimized with the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, right? So it's this, this love-hate thing. Um, people are going to be like, oh, well, it's regulated now. I know that every single batch is tested. I know that the government approves it now. So maybe it's going to become more mainstream. I imagine as it becomes a bigger, more mainstream industry like cannabis, everybody's smoking cannabis, right? The government will probably want to get their grubby hands on it. But for now, even the states that pass the Consumer Protection Act, it doesn't have a taxation thing. You just have to pay a registration fee to the government, maybe an annual registration fee. I don't know what it is, a couple hundred bucks. But um, it's largely unregulated. In the states that it's not banned, in the states that it's not, the Kratom Consumer Protection Act hasn't passed, it's just total Wild West, which as a voluntarist is how I prefer. Cool. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, that, that reminds me of the movie, and I suppose we should talk about the movie a little bit, <laughs> where it was really one of the more infuriating interviews was where Chris was talking to this, um, I want to say he was a doctor, and he was very anti-Kratom, and he was concerned about what you were taking it for, and like how you were going to classify it. What you were taking it for is how you're going to classify it. And he's oh, like, if it treats any kind of condition, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, he says, if, if it treats any condition, then it's a drug. And I was like, that's a horrific definition because anything's a condition. So food treats hunger. You know, clothes treat feeling cold. I mean, there's anything is a condition. So the whole classification of what's a drug and what's not is so arbitrary and idiotic. And it just gives people an excuse to say, well, this is bad. And this is arbitrarily bad. We're going to shut this down. When, like you said before... It's really just because it's cutting in on pharma's big profits. So yeah, that was yeah the guy you're annoying. talking about. He was a representative or the president of the national. I think it's a natural products industry or the national no natural products industry or it's basically a, a lobbying firm for dietary supplements. And um, he has spoken out against kratom. And what I think that is is an example of slave on slave violence, right? So back in the day, I did a lot of traffic activism where I didn't renew my driver's license and my registration expired and I'd go to court and I'd fight it and say, which is a true legal interpretation, but it's not going to fly in the, for the judge or the jury as I would find out that, you know, if you're not engaged in commerce, which is transporting goods or persons for a profit, right? Like these big commercial 18 wheelers or even a commercial flight is transporting people for profit, then you're not required, you're not, uh, you're the commercial code doesn't apply to you, right? You're just traveling freely. There's even Supreme Court rulings and all sorts of bogus stuff. But you bring that up in court and the jury is still going to convict you because the jury's like, well, I have to have a driver's license. So, so do they, right? It's slave on slave violence. So just the same, this natural products industry goon is like, well, my industry is regulated as dietary supplements and we have to do all this stuff and pay for these licenses and do all this extra stuff. So I'm not going to let these Kratom guys fly under the radar and not have to do that. So that's yep. what the story is with that jerk. And what he's talking about is it's not so hunger isn't a disease, right? Uh, chronic pain mm. could be considered a disease. Well, according to the FDA and the government and stuff. And so when you start talking in terms of relieving pain, so I never say like a straight disease, but the FDA has this catch-all, which is why when you make claims, you're supposed to really say nothing at all. Maybe it helps with a sense of well-being because pain, while pain isn't a disease, pain is a symptom of a whole wide variety of diseases. And so even symptoms, if you make a claim about a symptom, it can be coupled in as a disease. And it's just all convoluted. And something the government does, like they interpret it in a way that benefits them. So that's what he was talking about there. If you're talking about, I take Kratom as a sen for a sense of well-being, then, then it wouldn't be considered a quote-unquote drug. But if you're like, I take Kratom for chronic pain, and he's like, oh, well, that's a medical condition. And that means it should, needs to be a dietary supplement. But Kratom's not approved as a dietary supplement. I did this report where I talked about this great libertarian thing where it's um, the way that things are supposed to operate in America. And this is bullshit, actually. It's never was supposed to operate this way. Government is supposed to operate as it does, which is like the ruling class controls everyone else and maintains their position of power and leeches off of everyone. But, you know, to talk in, in peachy terms, the way things were supposed to operate was a giant sea of rights with an island of privileges. So you have the right to do all sorts of stuff and you it's only a privilege if it's something that interferes with someone else's property or someone else's rights. And these are things that you have to ask permission from the government to do. But other than that, it's assumed that it's a right. But along the way, that was actually flipped and reversed. So now you have a giant island of, a giant sea of privileges with a tiny island of rights. So unless the government, 
the way that the government does it now when it comes to food and dietary supplements and stuff is unless the government has expressly approved it, it's assumed to be prohibited. But the way that it should be is unless the government expressly prohibited it, then it should be fair game, right? And so because the government has an expressly approved Kratom as a dietary supplement, then it shouldn't be sold as a dietary supplement. But at the same time, it's not banned. There's not a law saying you can't take it as a dietary or something that helps you medically, you know? So it puts Kratom vendors in this really tough spot. And like I said before, early on, I was like, well, I'm not going to put a suggested serving size. I'm not going to talk about how it helps people with these medical issues. I'm just selling it as a powder and people can do with it what they please. But I decided like, you know what? Whatever. First Amendment. I'm just sharing information, educating people. And um, I'll just understand the risks. If the FDA wants to send me a letter, I guess I'll shift my business practices. But for now, I'm just trying to help as many people as possible. Very good. All right. Well, while, while you guys were talking and, and John, you are quite eloquent and you go on for quite a while. So while you're talking, I have all these like things I want to interject with, but I, like, I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, sorry. And now they're all gone. So, oh, no, <laughs> it's OK. You, you've, you've given us uh, tons of great stuff already. Um, rancher. No, that's OK. I, I often get into little rants as well. And that, that's a good thing. Um, while you guys were talking about the different varieties, I kept thinking of that scene in Pulp Fiction with Lance and like this is Panda. This is Chobo. This is, you know, this is Madman. And uh, I know it's like, you know, not a, an illicit thing like heroin, but it just kind of reminded me of that. So, you know, we tie it to movies. Um, but another frame of reference that that uh, Robert and I are both, if, if Robert remembers this book, um, are familiar with is uh, a thing called Battlenut. Do you remember this book, Robert, um, A Rumor of War? I had to read it in college, and I think I gave it, gave it to you to read as well. It was about the Vietnam War and how... Um, like if you weren't directly fighting, then it, then you could interact with the people and it like wasn't a negative situation. But anyway, he was talking about the people who were chewing on these leaves of the betel nut tree and it would turn their mouths red, but it would have a mild um, hallucinogenic effect. And it seems somewhat similar to what we're finding here with Kratom. And, you know, it's a natural occurring thing that people have been using for hundreds of years in Indonesia. Uh, and by the way, last week we were just talking about um, a movie called Gold, which was partly based in Indonesia as well. So for whatever reason, we're on a Southeast Asia kick right now. Um, but I guess this, this goes back to uh, another question for you, John. Um, did Kratom just come along too recently to the West? Because if it has similar effects to say, you know, cannabis has all these positive effects for people. And then the government stepped in and was like, well, it's competing with, you know, something else, the hemp industry, we're going to just ban it now a lot and criminalize it and um, demonize it. Right. Um, but what of things that came before? What of aspirin or Tylenol or laudanum, which is basically heroin, or cocaine being in things? Like, if these things had come along, you know, if, if Kratom had been around for 100 or 200 years in the U.S., would it, would it be a regulated thing? Would it just be uh, a normal thing that people just have, like, like vitamin C? Or coffee? Yeah, um, so it's been used for hundreds of years in Southeast Asia. And interestingly enough, it's, it was used by the indigenous peoples in that area for the same stuff that it's popular in the West now. People would use it as a stimulant to help get through their laborious days in, in the farm or the field. They would use it to help take the edge off, sitting around the fire, brewing it in a tea and drinking the tea with their friends. Much like in the West, we sit around and drink beer after a hard day's work. And then interestingly enough, it would also be used to help overcome opium addiction. So opium's been you know popular for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and that's where heroin comes from, right? The, the poppy plant and the opium people become dependent and addicted and there'd be opium crises, much like we have now, opium epidemics, and people would use Kratom to come off of that. And then in the nineties, it started being imported to the States 
probably through head shops and stuff. I don't know exactly what the purpose of the import was, but it was very, very obscure. And I believe that it started exploding in popularity. It, it coincided with the opioid epidemic, opioid crisis, which has been going on for 20 years, but really started picking up steam in the past decade or so. And of course, that's because the pharmaceutical companies pushing it on the doctors and making people think it's all safe. But I just I'm reading a book um, about opioid addiction and how to overcome it. And apparently like 25, 20 to 25 percent of people that take opioids end up becoming hardcore addicted to it. But I think it started exploding in popularity, uh, coinciding with the opioid epidemic. And then in 2016, when the government tried to ban it, like I think Robert said early at the beginning, it just exploded in huge popularity because now the press was talking about it. People started Googling it. If you look at Google search, which I've done, you can see the huge spike in 2016 when the government tried to ban it. So I imagine had it been around already for 50 or 100 years, uh, it would be regulated. And um, I think that like cannabis, cannabis is a naturally occurring thing, right? So it's not something that you can patent, which is why people are, why the big pharmaceutical companies are all up in arms about it. Um, and even the doctor from the film, Joseph McCurdy, Christopher McCurdy, he wants to patent the alkaloids and Kratom and, and make a medicine out of it, which is something that he wants to do. But his assistant said they can still exist peacefully together, but who knows? So I imagine fast forward 10 to 20 years from now, Kratom is going to continue to grow in popularity. Uh, it'll probably be regulated like cannabis is, and they'll probably have synthesized it again because the big benefit of Kratom over the traditional opioids is that it doesn't cause respiratory depression. So it does have so many amazing benefits and it could really replace a lot of these poppy-based opioids that cause respiratory depression and are the reason why so many people are dying in this country right now. Yeah, this what you just said was all excellent. But um, I want to just reiterate, like one of the the most frustrating point for me in this film. And I understand the the desire of people doing this to seem like legitimate. I guess I guess when you're when you're when your product is regulated and whatever you you feel like you're one of the adults in the room, I suppose. But it's like they're 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 out there they're serving their fellow man they're creating this product and people are buying it voluntarily and they're enjoying it and it's helping them but then they're like we need to get the government involved because otherwise they might come in or we need to like self-regulate we need to see like they wanted to force everybody to get it tested like they see the value in presenting a tested product to their customers because that's you know a valuable thing for a, a consumer to see like, well, here's this product X that I'm not exactly sure what's in it. And here's product Y and product Y has all these like certifications and whatever that is appealing to a customer. Right. And they see that and they're like, well, we need to have someone come in and force it to do it. But then they end up at the end. They're just like, well, let's just do it ourselves. They're like, they go to a guy and he's like, yeah, I'm going to bankroll this, this testing for this thing. And then like Chris Bell's going to get into this business. So it's like, they see the value in it. So then they just do it themselves, but then they probably still want it regulated. It was really frustrating. It reminded me of um, the Comics Code and the uh, Motion Picture Rating Agency back in the day when government was going, well, what are all these racy movies coming out of Hollywood? And what are these racy comic books being made? These are corrupting our youth and they're corrupting everybody. You guys need to like get a handle on this stuff. And so the industry sort of self-regulated themselves. Like, like you can't do X, Y, and Z. And it really... Put a hamper on creativity and you ended up with just stupid shit I, I i want these people to learn the lesson and to just go straight free market and let the market and the consumers trust the consumers to go 
well, yeah, this product is probably going to be better than this product. Or, you know, maybe there'll be some people that will rather pay a lower price and roll the dice on this other Kratom. I don't know. But there's probably going to be a large enough market on the tested Kratom for other people. I, I don't know. Just let the market decide. I, I wish people would see that. Yeah. We're such a minority as libertarians and anarchists that something like that bothers us. But I didn't like the vendor that they spoke with at, at the end. And he, I think he was kind of arrogant. And obviously, he's scaled to a position of uh, where they can test every single batch that comes in. Our Kratom is tested periodically. We don't test every single batch that comes in. But like I said, we have the same supplier for over two years now. And we've never had any issues with adulteration or salmonella or anything. And every time our periodic tests come through, it's totally pure and clean and um, you know, you got to scale, right? So you start somewhere and then you build up and you you improve your practices. And uh, the guy was speaking from a position where they're already in a scaled position and they're doing, I don't know what he, they, they like push through 20,000 kilos or something a month, which is nuts, way more volume than I'm doing. And they have way more money revenue than I'm doing. And uh, you got to build up to something. And most of my all my customers and the people that I do business with are comfortable with our practices, and they know that I I take the kratom myself, right? So that's a, that's a test in itself, where it's like I'll be the guinea pig before putting it out to my customers. But the periodic tests are sufficient. The fact that we have the same trusted, reputable supplier is sufficient. And um, like you said, the market can regulate itself, and that's already slowly taking place. Like the American Kratom Association has general man uh, good manufacturing practices. And there's certain vendors that are getting certified under that banner. And so it's kind of like the non-GMO project, right? Like a lot of libertarians are like, we need to have regulation that requires labeling of GMOs. I was always like, well, there's there's already nonprofits and businesses that are doing that. And like the non-GMO project is an example. So we don't need the government to do that. We can do it on our own and there can be industry associations and there's value in that in and of itself. But not everyone sees it that way, unfortunately. And we're the obscure libertarians that are making an issue out of it. A lot of people are comfortable with the government when they should really understand that it's a big fraud and it exists to benefit the big corporations and big companies at the expense of the competition. Yeah, and a lot of times they want standards to be all or nothing, right? Everyone must play by the exact same standards no matter what. And that that's like a protectionary measure for the entrenched interests. You yep. see this all the time with regulatory capture. Uh, public choice economics tells us that if it's going to be a distributed small mi minor cost among many people but concentrated benefits then you're going to have this uh, uh what do you call it like a disparate amount of uh, power or influence or or uh, effort into changing something and so you, you see this because government exists and is there to be captured that that's why these things um, can become such terrible situations and just to like highlight some of the further study on this um, regarding consumer protection um Bob Murphy is great on this. Robert P. Murphy. I've got uh, a lecture about consumer protection I'll put up uh, on our show notes page. Um, I've also got uh, things from Mark Thornton about drugs and whether they should be legal or not from an economics uh, standpoint. So I'll put something like from that up. Um, also, Robert Higgs in his book, um, Crisis in Leviathan, or it could be Against Leviathan. Um, he talks about how the FDA uh, in just a decade, there were uh, over a half a million deaths related to prescription drugs that were prescribed by doctors already approved by the FDA, not not uh, even mentioning the untold horrors of people suffering from disease who can't get cures or um, relief because the FDA won't approve the drugs or it's like in the in the um, movie you talked about, it's a billion dollars to bring a new drug to market just to get the FDA processing. So 
you know, how much suffering is related to, to even that, you know, things being prevented from people making choices for their own bodies, you know, like the left like to talk about my body, my choice, but only in one very, very narrow and particular uh, topic, not about virtually anything else. Um, and then uh, Tom DiLorenzo, he's also really good about the uh, cronyism and, and protectionism. So I'm going to post a bunch of stuff on our show notes page at lastnarrative.com slash 108 related to that. Um, we are going to need to start to wind down our show is just uh, about an hour. So uh, if you guys have any final notes before we get into final summary and review and, and give a rating on this documentary one through 10. Well, one thing that I really appreciated about the film was they talk about addiction quite a bit. And they talk about how anything can be addictive. I think they mentioned sugar, fat, and salt being about as addictive as Kratom. And that's absolutely, I mean, I've never taken Kratom. And I'm sure it, it, you take it because you like it. It feels good, makes you feel good. It gives you a certain whatever whatever you're looking for. But so does anything else. So, I mean, people, like one, they made the distinction between um, like hiding. I want to say it was like hiding from the world, like escaping. I think that was the word they used or somebody was using. Was whether you take it to escape from things or you take it to like enhance your current life. And I mean, you could say that, you know, a lot of people escape from life with food, like sugar, fat, salt, or video games, or, I mean, it could be literally anything, but whether you, I mean, like, I'm reminded of, um, and this is like secondhand of secondhand information, but they were like taking studies with uh, mice and they would like give them the option of having food or heroin. And they would just, and it was like a, a mouse all by itself in this cage. And it was just like heroin, 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 death. But they put it in like that, that exact same choice with like a healthy mouse in a in a group setting, like with a happy mouse. And they got like a whole community support and that sort of thing. And it was like, yeah, I'll take some heroin every once in a while, but I don't like abuse it. It really shows how pretty much anything can be used harmfully, but other things can also be used to enhance things. So the idea that you're arbitrarily going to distinguish one thing as like schedule one and then another thing, it's just it really shows the political and financial backing of the bullshit that the DEA, DEA is. And uh, for that, I, I really I really think this is a great film. Yeah, it's um, it's ironic. It's totally arbitrary and subjective. And to have human beings and who's ever in power get to make the decisions. And of course, we know the people that are in positions of power in the FDA are former executives in pharmaceutical companies. And even this guy, Scott Godelib, who was the FDA director most recently, um, Trump appointed him. He's, he, he resigned since, but uh, he was not only a former pharmaceutical executive, but he was like on the board of these pharmaceutical investment conglomerates, just making millions and millions of dollars off of all this. And then as one of y'all pointed out earlier, the ultimate irony is that so many more people are dying from opioids and fentanyl and stuff that is FDA approved and is prescribed by a doctor compared to Kratom, which is like nobody dying. And they say there's like 91 Kratom related deaths. That was a CDC number. And then it turns out that all but seven of those had other stuff in their system, like heroin and fentanyl. And then some of those seven, like one person was shot. And again, it's it's highly unlikely that people are dying by taking Kratom alone. But what's really unsafe is the stuff that is approved and the stuff that is regulated. So um, it's all arbitrary. And I wish more people, I think more and more, I feel optimistic about the prospects for liberty in the future because especially because of the internet and uh, like we saw with Edward Snowden and the whole big brother thing. It used to be like a weird conspiracy theory that the computer's watching you and your phone's listening to you and they're tracking all your emails and stuff. Now it's truth and everyone knows that. Uh, I think more and more people are starting to see through the veil of legitimacy that the state has as they continue to just do so many horrible things, both Republicans and Democrats. And I'm hoping that more and more people will see 
the light of day and see through this FDA stuff. And um, I know that the cool thing about Kratom, and again, as I talked about earlier, like the masses don't ever change history. So Kratom isn't a remedy for the masses to take. It's a remedy for people that are fed up with what their doctor's prescribing not working. It's a remedy for people that don't believe the CDC uh, press release. It's a remedy that for people that don't get their news from CNN. It's for people that think outside the box. And um, that gives me hope. And so it's just a matter of time, I think, before more and more people see the light. And if they don't, then, you know, we can just do our own little thing in our own little communities and we can help each other out and their masses can just watch TV all day and vote. <laughs> <laughs> but uh if people want to try kratom again you can go to freeounceofkratom.com and you'll get one of these right here normally it retails for 15 dollars, but you'll get it for free all you have to do is pay five dollars shipping and handling and you can try this and then you're presented with an opportunity to get our four other strains for 50 percent off so for 33 dollars and 75 cents you can try all four and maybe one of them suits your fancy helps you with stress anxiety focus uh, pain, relaxation, maybe you drink a little bit too much and uh, you want to cut back from that. Helps with all sorts of stuff. I especially like it that it's, you know, throwing a little uppercut punch to the pharmaceutical companies because so many people are using it and getting off of prescriptions from whether it's depression meds, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, anti-anxiety stuff, Adderall, opioids. Helps a lot of people. Yeah, and your uh, your numbers that you were giving us earlier, the 5 billion versus 21 billion, I mean, that's a huge chunk. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see where, where that number comes from, because I would think that, that the prescription drug market would be bigger than $21 billion, and that the Kratom money, if it's $5 billion, that's huge for something that I hadn't heard of until just you know recently, recent events. So anyway, yeah. I'd love to see that and post it on our show notes page at lastnight.com slash 108. But why don't we kick off our uh, final summary and review? We'll start with Robert, and then we'll go to you, John. Okay. Okay. So this is another Chris Bell production, which I... I, I think I like the guy. I, I appreciate his viewpoint. Um, he said some some things that I would disagree with, of course, like anybody. Uh, probably the biggest thing he said that I was like, what? what? That I, I just People don't understand this when they say things like this. But he said, being free from pain is a basic human right. And I'm like, it's <laughs> just not true. I don't know if any, I don't know what world he lives in, but it's not a right to be pain-free. Uh, I still like the guy, of course. He's, he's, he's fantastic. Um, and this is probably his most important film. So if you're going to see any of his stuff, see this one. Um, his other films have been, I mean, I don't know about prescription thugs. I haven't seen that one, but I imagine that I already know a lot of the information that he's going to be talking about in that film. But anyway, uh, this one for sure. I, I like that he presents both sides. Um, I clearly, he has an agenda and a viewpoint, uh, but he does present arguments. I, mean, I don't even know if they're arguments though. He interviews people and they're basically just, I don't like this thing, so I want it banned. They don't seem to really have an argument. They point to a few deaths that, like we said, are you know mixed with other drugs and that sort of thing, but they're blaming this thing because it's new and scary, I guess, what people or, don't understand that they're afraid of. Or it's just somebody died and they happen to have Kratom in their system. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah, he's hit by a bus, but he had it in him, so it killed him. Uh, so, yeah, um, check it out. For sure, this is. I think this is a good documentary. I'd say it's probably like an eight. I'm a I'm a documentary fan, uh, so yeah, and it's, it's good for sure. Check it out. All right, very good, John. Your uh, final summary and a score out of ten, please. Uh, I, I'm a big documentary guy as well. Uh, early on with 9/11 Truth documentaries, that's how I got my start in the documentary film world. But I, I appreciate his approach. I appreciate how consumable it is, and uh, it's it's relatively 
objective, relatively objective. And I just like the kind of follow the naive guy along as he learns about Kratom and educates you as well. I think he had a nice broad uh, interview interviewees that he talked to. I especially appreciate how he gave the opposition a fair shake. The, the, the council member, the mayor lady from Florida, she got an opportunity to share her piece, even though it was total bogus. Um, so I think as far as information and it is entertaining too, and it's kind of a little chipper in certain parts. Uh, and because I'm a big Kratom guy, right, I, I would give it, you know, a nine or a 10, but I'm going to take away two points because it, and it, the whole regulation angle wasn't just like a passing thing. I think he really drove home the regulation. Like that was one of his points, not only to educate people about Kratom and to expose people to Kratom, but at the end of the day, he had an agenda to encourage Kratom to be regulated. And I find that to be morally reprehensible. So I'm going to take away. Well said. <laughs> I'm going to take away two points on that, and I'll give it a, I'll give it an eight. All right, two two point deduction. All right. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed the documentary as well. I watched it with my wife, and uh, we uh, we liked it. Um, Chris seemed to be a, a very good, uh, you know, filmmaker. It's it's a little bit like home cooking style. Like he's in it, and he's like very curious, and he's talking to people, and he seems pretty open with it. I mean, you can kind of see a little bit of an agenda. He's he's sort of pushing the pro kratom side just a little bit. But at least he does give the uh, the shakes to the other to the other side. That lady, it was interesting because during her last, um, I guess, city council thing, even the guy was like, you know, this is your last one that you're doing, and and I just don't, I want to be able to vote for you, but I can't. Um, and that just showed me also an insight into how politics works. Like, well, he's going to vote for her a little bit more than he otherwise might have because it was her last thing, like for some sentimental, you know, path. Uh, just kind of just highlights how ridiculous uh, politics can be. But on the, the other side of it, because of social media and new media, uh, podcasts, Joe Rogan, the, the word got out that, uh, that the FDA was going to do something to impact the people who are using Kratom. And they were able to push back on that. So I think that was also a big portion of the story that um, maybe we could have talked about a bit more on this. But uh, I definitely recommend checking inside because you can kind of see how um, as an anarchist, you know, I, I don't want to partake in the political uh, arena, but there are people who do. And um, Ron Paul was one who was using it as an educational platform. There's the uh, LPMC, the um, Louis, uh, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. You know, they're trying to get it back to like principled arguments and things like that. And so I think that there is a space for that, uh, you know, because sometimes the government only listens to one type of thing. And that's like whether their jobs are at risk for getting voted out. I mean, it's a very minor thing that you can do pushing back on it but at least it's something and why not use every voice available so uh for that i'm actually going to give it a bonus point back from where i would have given this a score of seven i'm going to go up to an eight on this one so one takes away the other gives three-way tie three-way tie all right, all right so uh, this is a, a leaf of faith this is episode 108 we all gave it a's check it out on netflix next week we're going to live die and repeat for groundhog day we're going to invite back Jack B. Lloyd of the Voluntary's comic book series to talk about The Edge of Tomorrow starring Tom Cruise. It's going to be a blockbuster uh, for that one. And we did Groundhog Day a couple of years ago. And this is, you know, he goes through the same day again and again, just like Bill Murray does in The Great Groundhog Day. So I thought it was relevant to, uh, to do that for the Tom Cruise film. So we'll be doing that next week. Um, John, your company is Brave Botanicals. And people can find that at uh, what's the link again? And then. One last time on the, uh, you know, it's like an infomercial here. Where can people get their uh, their free kratom? Yeah, the company's Brave Botanicals. 
And the website is mybravebotanicals.com. We also sell CBD oil. And we just started selling CBD flour, which is very nice and has no THC. So it's super, super chill and super smooth. And then if someone wants to try an ounce of kratom, they can go to freeounceofkratom.com. That's freeounceofkratom.com. <laughs> People are standing by. <laughs> hey, that's CBD oil. I've had that. It's it's fantastic. It, but it's super taxed here in the state in Washington. So is that also like kratom not taxed down there? Not taxed in Texas. And so I mean, if you buy it from another state, there's not we're not adding taxes any way around it. So give it a try. Cool. All right. Very good. Um, there was something else I was going to say here. Oh, yes. Uh, all the ways you guys can support the show. Uh, Robert's usually pretty good about this, but I'll just throw uh, one thing out there. Check out our Patreon, lastnighters.com slash Patreon. We got two new patrons in the last week. Uh, welcome. So welcome. Welcome, new patrons. Uh, we'll be giving you some fabulous prizes and shout outs in a future episode. Uh, but if people want to get in on that action, go to lastnighters.com slash Patreon. The show notes for this one is lastnighters.com slash 108. And Free Kratom is where you can get your Free Ounce Kratom, ironically enough. Uh, Robert, anything else they can do before we get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is a little bit of bonus content, uh, we'll do right after this. Well, you can tell a friend about the show. You can buy a T-shirt at Trumpster.com. I've been getting a couple sales lately. It's been fantastic. Um, you can uh, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can share our videos. You can leave a thumbs up. You can uh, do any of those things and more. But uh, the main thing is use your own creativity and ingenuity. If you really think the show is good and worthwhile, uh, you know, tell a friend. Well said. All right. Well, uh, thank you, John. I hope you can stick around for a little bit longer. And uh, we will uh, say goodnight from last night, everyone. All right, we're going to continue just another minute or two on the Actual Anarchy podcast. John, that was an excellent, excellent episode. Thank you so much. I wish that I had written down all the things I wanted to say, but then we'd be talking for another hour. Uh, <laughs> But there is one thing I wanted to, to bring up, and that is all of these people talking about the lack of standards and wanting to regulate Adam. Uh, I wonder how they would compare that to, say, something like vaccines, where we always hear about uh, how the vaccines haven't been tested appropriately or for interactions with each other and things like th of this nature. Yet it seems like people blindly just support uh, vaccination no matter what. And, and there's like the vaccine drug court and the the fund that, you know, there's no liability to the manufacturers and all these things. But it's like government's just in there meddling with all of this stuff. And that's what these people asking for regulation are asking for. And it seems uh, kind of ridiculous and a little bit, um, if they're not aware of it, um, but contradictory, you know? Yeah, I think um, one of the reasons why I appreciate the libertarian movement, especially the voluntarist sect of the libertarian movement, is that consistency is, is so important, right? Whether everyone is consistent or not, at least it's something you can call people out on and something that we tend to strive towards. And so that moral consistency is something that you kind of, when, when you're not being consistent in your position or ideally in your daily life and the choices that you make, that's how, in my opinion, we create a free society is that we consistently apply the philosophy of liberty in our daily lives and our choices. But at least when a libertarian or a voluntarist isn't speaking consistently there's they have to have that bit of cognitive dissonance to proceed and i think in other movements and other political philosophies that's not something that stri strive towards at all they are more utilitarian and um they just go along with whatever the authority says and so i appreciate um larkin rose's work because it talks about the 
authority, right? And so it's not just government authority, but it's what people see as an authority for truth uh, or for what we ought to do. And so if the CDC comes out and says it's okay, or the FDA says it's okay, or a medical doctor, an MD says it's okay, then that is their source of truth. And that's just not the case. And again, libertarians have an extra layer of analysis where we see these other uh, human motivations and why someone would do that. And they're motivated in this way or that way. And it's just a much more thorough analysis that I appreciate about libertarians. And yeah, it is, it is inconsistent, but the CDC says it's recommended and my doctor said I should do it for my children. So that's the truth. Well said, Robert, you want to hop in on, on this before we uh, shut down the actual anarchy portion of the show here? Well, you know, government corrupts everything and, you know, humans like to take advantage of the division of labor because, you know, you've got these experts that devote their entire lives to a certain topic. So, of course, you're going to take their opinion, generally speaking, over your own opinion. If you haven't really researched, you don't have the time. You're spending your entire life, you know, doing other things. So you're going to be like, well, I will take this expert's opinion. But like John was just saying, a lot of the times these experts' opinions are influenced by corrupting influences. And, yeah, I love that he was saying that, yeah, the libertarian generally takes into account these other influencing factors when making their decisions. Yeah. And good shout out for the Larkin Rose stuff. We're big fans of his. And uh, we did his um, Candles in the Dark seminar a couple of years ago, helping to talk to status and all of this. And uh, we've um, tried to implement some of those things in our lives and also in the show. And uh, we've, we've heard from people that we've helped turn a few people towards libertarianism. So those are, those are the bigger wins, even bigger than the, uh, than the Patreons. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate uh, libertarianism. I think uh, conspiracy theories, too, because that's how I got my start in activism was questioning 9-11 and encouraging people to look all that up. And then all the what what's now called the deep state, we used to call the shadow government and the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, all these puppets that stick around, the puppet string pullers. Yeah, the Bilderbergs. Um, when someone like begins to like, have a fracture in their reality, it kind of has these trickle down effects. So someone is exposed to libertarianism and they talk about protectionism or they talk about how money influences this or the other, or when someone learns that 9-11 was an inside job, for example, it just creates a little shred of doubt. And then that shred of doubt can, if cultivated, right? Like your show waters that little shred of doubt and all sorts of people's books and knowledge and videos water that shred of doubt, that seed of doubt and it springs and it can have a cascading effect. So before you know it, not only are you questioning the role of government in our lives, or you're putting doubt on the information that the bureaucrats are putting out, but now you're like choosing not to vaccinate your kids because you're skeptical of what the government says, or now you're willing to try something like Kratom for pain because you don't buy what the CDC said about it, or you don't watch the mainstream news because you know that they're funded and they have an agenda. So it's, it's cool that this one political thing, libertarianism, can really start applying to all sorts of other areas of our life it's just really what it is is thinking for yourself and questioning the the prevailing opinion right tom wood says uh it, we're going to talk about what's not allowed on the three by five index card of allowable thought right so it's when you start thinking outside of that three by five card there's a whole world of of wonder out there indeed indeed well hey john thank you so much you've been an excellent guest this is uh actual anarchy.com slash 165 for the show notes and more on this one and we will of course have a link to freeanswerkratum.com as well as your uh Brave Botanicals. Um, a lot of the other stuff that I mentioned on this show we'll have on the show notes page as well. And uh, we'd love to have you back uh, sometime in the future. Uh, maybe we can just talk about a, a regular movie or another documentary if you're a documentary guy. And cool. 
uh, thank our audience. You guys have been great. Uh, we appreciate you supporting us for, um, gosh, three and a half years now, almost four years. So we'll just uh, keep on trucking, right, Robert? That's right, baby. You guys are the best. Thank you all. All right. And uh, maximum freedom all the time, everyone. Good night. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.